Well, you hate to hear something like that played and then for me to have to stand up here and say to let everybody know, if you don't like it, if you want to go ahead and depart, you can, but I'm getting ready to talk about money. <laughs> All right? And I know, <laughs> and I know for some folks, uh, let, 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 me, let me say this about it. Okay, that is a subject I just, I just do not like. I just do not like to talk about, okay? Uh, I believe that is an issue. Uh, that is uh, between an individual believer and the Lord, okay? And that is something that, as God lays on your heart, uh, that should be something that, that we should just do. Matter of fact, all that God blesses us with, all of the riches that he blesses us with, our time, our talents, all of that, okay? We ought to seek to from a cheerful, giving heart, because here's what the New Testament says, that we should give generously. So whatever that means to give generously from a heart of love, understanding and realizing that God gave all when he sent his son to die on our behalf, and everything that you and I have and have in life and possess and all of those things, I'm going to tell you something, they're a gift that comes from God for us. So the question is, we come to James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, is where we will be. Uh, we're going to deal with the subject, and we're just going to take it as it comes. One of the things, if you preach or teach expositionally through a book, you don't just pick and choose what you want to go through. You take it in order. Well, I can tell you this, verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 6, is the next portion of James's letter. Now, I will say this about it. This portion of his letter... contains the strongest rebuke from James. It contains the strongest rebuke of all of his letter. And I'm going to tell you something, it's just, uh, he just, he lays it, he lays it out there and he makes it, he makes it very, matter of fact, I could probably just read the six verses to you, make a quick summary at the end, have a time of response and go. But I think we need to carefully consider and look at all of the things that James is trying to get across to us here in these passages of Scripture. And let me say this. This portion of James's letter, as he is writing this, it's basically for those who profess to worship God, but instead worship riches. And that's what he's going to deal with. He talks about his gold and his silver and all of those things that he pertains to. Or pertains to them as an individual believer. You know, the rich thought they had it made because of their wealth. Now, let me just go ahead and say something. Just right, okay. Well, please let me say this right up front, okay? There is nothing wrong with having money, there's nothing wrong with having wealth, there's nothing wrong with having things. Matter of fact, the older you get in life, the amazing thing about the older you get in life is all of the toys that guys like to have, they just get considerably more expensive. And you, just, you still like to have them, okay? Uh, and, and listen to me, there, there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. And I want you to understand that before James gets into this portion of his letter. So what is it that James is going to do in these first six verses James condemns the rich for hoarding treasure in the last days, purposely not paying workers fairly, living in selfish luxury, and mistreating the righteous. 
And that's what he's going to deal with here. And so we see immediately out of the starting gate in verse number one, the consequences for misusing wealth are spelled out in verse one. And I want you to notice, is James right? He says, come now. That's an interesting phrase because it ties back to something that we just saw at the conclusion of chapter number four. He said, you need to listen up. He said, you need, to, you need to really listen to what it is I'm getting ready to say. That phrase at the beginning of verse 1, come now, just like in verse 13 of chapter number 4, come now, you need to listen up because this next portion is considerably important. He says, and I want you to notice who he refers to. He says, you rich. He says, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. And I will tell you why, because their trust was in their riches. And he says, you need to mourn and you need to howl and you need to weep because your miseries are coming upon you. Which is an interesting phrase as, as, as James deals with this. But let me, let me try to help you out just a little bit this morning. Nothing material in this world will last forever. I know we've heard that over and over and over again. But it's amazing today... We have the tendency to live like it's going to, but it will, it will not last forever. Death and decay are found in all of creation, every aspect of it. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 6, as Paul's writing to Timothy, I want you to notice as he shares with young Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And so Paul is writing to Timothy to exhort Timothy and to encourage Timothy in his teaching. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, I want you to notice as Paul writes to Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. On the uncertainty, you know, what's, what's been amazing to me is, I mean, it's all over the place. You better guard your money. Whatever you got, you better make sure it's safeguarded. You better, because there's a day coming, you're going to lose every bit of it. Everything's going to fall. Everything's coming apart. Everything is going to disintegrate. We're moving to a currency. We're moving to a direction now. He said, he tells Timothy, he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches because they're not certain. And notice what he says you need to fix it on. You need to fix it on God. That's where you need to fix. That's where your priority needs to be. Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's what he's instructing Timothy to instruct those that Timothy will be ministering to, especially there in the church at Ephesus. He said, you need to be generous. He said, you need to share those things that we have. Look at verse 19, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. I will tell you, it is not the temporal things of this life, of this physical life that we have at our disposal, 
The most important aspect is what we have and what we're laying up, things that are eternal. And that's what James is trying to get across. Let's go back to James chapter number 5 as he continues to walk through this. We come to verse 2 and verse 3. Because he's going to share now what happens when these are hoarded. In verse 2 through verse 3 of James chapter number 5. The riches that he's going to talk about here are rotted in the sense that they have been hoarded instead of being used for the good of others and the glory of God. Notice what happens to them. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. What happens when things are hoarded? What happens when things are stored and they're put into all of these bins and everything? You see it all the time. What happens is just what James described. When you hoard all of it and you store all of it up and it's not used for anything and you just let it, nothing will last forever today. Matter of fact, when it's hoarded, when it's set up, when it's, when it's put away and it's not used with a purpose behind it. And he comes to verse number three. And now, not only your garments, he said, but your gold and your silver have rusted. And somebody said, well, wait a minute, James, gold doesn't rust. What happens? It loses its luster. If you see gold that has been put up for a long period of time, not that I have any that's put up anywhere to see this, but you see it. When gold is put up and it is stored and it's not in a, in a correct area, it begins to lose its luster. The silver also begins to lose its luster, and it will begin to get a discoloration to it when you look at it. He says at the next part of verse number 3, and their rust, now notice this, he says, and their rust will be a witness against you. This hoarding up, this storing up, this not being used. That that we have been blessed with. That that God has given to us. When we hoard it and we store it all up. And people say this all the time. Well, you know, we're just storing it up for the rainy day. For the rainy day? What happens if the rainy day doesn't come? Now, okay, okay, wait just a minute. Some of y'all are looking up here at me. Well, you know, you should. Is it wrong to save? No. Is it wrong to plan? No. Is it wrong to, to put things in to ensure that you and your family are taken care of? There's nothing wrong with that. It's what you should do. And so the scripture is very clear on that. But when we take it and we hoard it and we set it up and we just trust in those riches. I've heard people say this all the time. If I could just win this Powerball lottery, I'll be set for life. Really? Let me tell you something. I've never seen this if, if this is the case, you let me know right now. But it seems like the more money we get, the more we want. And, what's, and, and what, what happens is we begin to trust in that. My dear friend, listen to me. The day's coming when it's going to be gone. And when all of that is gone, and when all of that that's temporary is gone, then what do you have? Well, look at what James says in the next part of verse number 3. He said, and you will consume and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Now, I will say this. The decay is not currently visible to the naked eye when it comes to gold and silver. Okay? I mean, you, you can see it some. But on the day of judgment, 
the oppressor's misuse and abuse of those, then we'll testify against them. That's what he means by a witness against you. What does God bless us with these things for? To keep ourselves Go back to the days of the early church. You know, this is something that's, that always amazes me. I hear people say this all the time. Well, we need to go back to the days of the early church. Guess what they did? They brought all that they had together. They brought it all together to make sure that everybody, it was distributed to everybody so that no one was wanting. So what about us today? Are we giving Are we hoarding? Do we trust in those riches? James says if you're trusting in them, you're misdirected. And let me say this this morning. I've already said, okay, there's nothing wrong or sinful about saving. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Let's see what Jesus says about this. Matthew chapter number 6. This is one of those tough messages because it sure is quiet in here. Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to notice verse 19. Notice what Jesus says. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust... Uh Uh-oh. I think we just read about some of that in James chapter number 5. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hmm. It's in the last days that you've stored up this treasure. So my question today is, what are you doing with what God's blessed you with? Do you use it? Are you a good steward of it? Are you a good steward of it for the things that, that God desires for it to be? Or is it something that we've put all of our absolute trust in? Well, he says something else back in Matthew chapter number 6. And I should have had you stay there, okay? But if you go back, Matthew chapter 6, if you're still there, I want you to look over at uh, verse 24. That same thought Jesus makes. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Well, can't do it. Can't do it. It's impossible. So what 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 does God get from us? You know, I, I, I've, been in, I've been in the ministry now over 32 years, okay, full-time at it. And I will say this, every church I've ever been in, it seems like when we have the offertory prayer, our prayer is God take whatever's given, multiply it, and use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. It's almost like, well, God, you know how to multiply it. You, you can take however little bit is given, you can multiply it, and you can use it. Do you understand and realize that our giving back, our giving to others, our serving through the use of what God blesses us with is an act of worship in our lives? 
So as we gather together corporately as a church, our giving corporately as a church. Now, I, I will say this, times have changed. I remember, I remember the days when uh, all the offering was collected in the church service, in the auditorium. Doesn't take place that way today. Here's what we've done. You have five ways you can give here, okay? You can give electronically. You can bring it with you. I mean, it just, we have, we have four or five ways you can give, okay? Matter of fact, I remember the day when they used to set the boxes up on the communion table. And in Mississippi, where I'm from, you had three boxes up there. You had a box marked for missions. You had a, mar- a box marked for general offering. And then you had a box for the pastor. <laughs> I don't know, after a message like this, I'd want a box marked pastor, okay? Probably wouldn't have a whole lot in it by the time we got finished. But the question is, is what, do, what do we do with that that God, you said, well, preacher, you don't understand. You, you, you don't understand uh, where I am in my life. You don't understand where we are financially in our lives. Let me say this to you this morning, okay? No matter how little or how much, God should always be considered first. Let me tell you why. Because he's blessed you with what you do have. Verse 4, James continues. Instead of laying up treasures in heaven, by using their wealth for God's glory... They were selfishly guarding it for their own security and pleasure. And here's the other thing. Okay. If you hire somebody and you're a believer, okay, pay them. If you agree to a price, pay them. Be generous. With your testimony, if you agree to, I mean, I've done some things, hired somebody, whatever the payment was that we agreed upon, that's what I paid them. And it wasn't, well, you know, can you come back three weeks from now? Can you come back a month from now and I'll pay you? No. If you agree to something, pay them. Set the example. And so James says in verse number four, behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you. So you've hired them to mow your fields, okay? And let me tell you what you've done. You've withheld their money and has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth which is an interesting phrase because it means the Lord of hosts or the armies of the Lord. So it is reached. So what is James trying to tell us here? I believe it's something that's very important. You know, we have, we do have a responsibility as believers. 
Matter of fact, if you'll hold your place here and go real quickly with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Paul deals with the subject of great generosity. And as he shares this with with the church at Corinth, I think it is very relevant even for us today. We have a responsibility as believers. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which is given, or which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. In their giving. In their sharing. And I want you to notice it says, it doesn't say in their peak time. It doesn't say when things were the very best. It says, I want you to see this, a great ordeal of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Verse 3, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So let me tell you something, it's twofold. When you go back and you read all of James's letter, when you go back to all of those draw near to God, the submitting, placing ourselves under the authority of God where he should be, then let me tell you something. When we place ourselves under the authority of God of where we should be, then all the rest comes. Because it's this priority that is set in our lives because of our relationship that we have with the Lord. So in verse 4, here's what James says. Don't mistreat those who you've hired. Don't mistreat those who you've hired. Is it significant? Sure it is. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 3. and Just let the scripture speak to itself. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and verse 28. So I want you to notice what it says. Verse 27, Proverbs chapter 3. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Just give it. Just pay it. That's what James says. And here's what you've done. You've withheld it from them. You've hired them and intentionally withheld it. Should not be. Matter of fact, to the degree that it has reached the very host of the Lord himself. I mean, that's pretty strong in the writing of this particular portion of his letter. Then we come to verse 5. Let me say this this morning. There's a great difference between enjoying what God has given us and living extravagantly on what we have withheld from others. Verse 5. 
You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. <laughs> Woo, how would you like to write that letter to somebody? Huh? And here's what we've done. We've hoarded it. We've withheld it. We've brought it to ourselves. And living in luxury off of it. So is it substantial? Sure it is. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 12. And you say, Brother Robert, you keep going back and forth in the scripture. That's right. Luke chapter 12. I want you to notice as Jesus speaks to this again. Luke chapter 12. Here's what you need to understand. It's what you need to see. This is how important it is. Jesus speaking here, here's what he says. He said, then he said to them, he said, beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all have ever heard the phrase, came into this world with nothing, and when you leave this world, you leave it with nothing. I mean, have you ever heard the phrase, I've never been to a funeral that when the hearse pulled out, there was a U-Haul trailer behind it. It's not. You're not going to take it with you. And then James chapter 5, finally in verse number 6. As James writes, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man, he does not resist you. Hmm. So what does James mean by that statement? I believe what James has said here is the working poor are the very ones that the rich has condemned. These poor, who as fellow believers, should have been treated with honor and respect out of duty. You see, the rich abused the legal system for their own gain. It's called injustice. And I'm going to tell you, for the believer, that ought not to be. Should not be. It doesn't matter what standing you have. Let me ask you a question. Aren't you glad that God doesn't provide his grace based upon your standing economically or socially? James, let me, tell you where you, let me tell you where you've erred here. You've condemned and put to death the righteous man. Well, what, what, does he mean, what does he mean by that statement? They not only accumulate wealth for themselves through illegal means or selfish means. They also take advantage of the poor to the point of condemning them by perverting the legal process. And that's what it does. You know, here's, here's a cry and shame. This is what I hear sometimes from lost people. You know, Christian people are the worst people to deal with when it comes to business. I say this, ought not to be. Ought not to be. So what did, he, what did, what did James mean writing to these Jewish believers here? Well, I, I, they would clearly understand. Jewish tradition taught 
that a person could murder another either by judicial murder or by depriving his neighbor, uh, his neighbor of his living. So you've condemned and put to death the righteous man. That's what you've done. By doing what? Depriving them of their living. That's what you've done. He does not resist you. Why? He doesn't have the means to resist you. So therefore you take advantage of them. And at the end of the day, nothing can be done. Let's go back to where I read this morning and I'll close with this Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. You see, worldly wealth is an area of high risk to walking humbly with God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse number 10. Solomon, the wisest that there ever was, at the end of the day, he saw the folly behind all of it. I want you to notice as he writes in verse 10 of chapter 5, he said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves abundance with its income, this too is vanity. He had more than you could ever imagine. He had more than he could ever go through. He had more than he could ever spend. And he said at the end of the day, you'll not be satisfied. Verse 11, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. So I guess what that means, all the grandparents and great-grandparents that are in here, so all of our sons, they need to make sure that their investments are secure so they can support us in our old age. You'll get that in a minute. Just joking. Verse 15. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Is it wrong to save? No. Is it wrong to have money? No. Is it wrong to eat? No. All of those things are good when we understand they come from the hand of God. Us, but they should never be hoarded, they should never be relied upon, they should never be trusted in. At the end of the day, if it all disappears, here comes the question Where is your trust then? 
Where is your hope then? If everything is stripped away from you and all of that money is gone, you go to the ATM and you stick your card in. You want to know what the balance is before you ask for that next $100 out. And all of a sudden it comes back and says you got a whopping zero. And what do you do? Where's your hope? Where is your trust? Here's what James says. It's hard to be rich and lowly at the same time. The use of money and the life of self-pleasing are never far apart.